Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter, Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. We happen to be canaries in a coal mine. Restaurants are, are so, the margins are so thin that we'll be the first to, to drop. I think, and we have in the course of running this restaurant, we spent a lot of time on a cliff. So you get used to being That's on the cliff. That's a small Nice business. view from the yeah. cliff, right? Yeah. But this is different, you know? Francis Credarola and his wife, Kathy Lee, have been running their restaurant, Laver 2, for nearly 15 years on East Pashunk Avenue in South Philadelphia. You are going to hear East Pashunk in this episode. We taped outside in Laver 2's courtyard, socially distanced, of course. We're in the middle of a pandemic, people. And the neighborhood made itself known. It's loud and brash and wonderful. Kind of like Kathy and Fran. The two of them have had their ups and downs as restaurant owners, but they've mostly been successful. And they've carved a nice life out for themselves and for their incredibly loyal staff. They served great food, built a community, and life was good. And then the pandemic hit. And like so many restaurant and small business owners, Francis and Kathy saw everything they'd worked so hard to build put into jeopardy. Recent studies and surveys and op-eds have shown that 85% of independent restaurants might close for good before the end of the year. The rules are constantly changing. The goalposts are constantly moving. For many people in this industry, it is week to week, it's month to month, you don't know. You're going to be looking at an attrition rate that's that's like World War One in the trenches. It's just going to be awful. We're just kind of like one foot in front of the other, but you know we're still going to beat the drum in our own way. For like we all like we all, as I look at the coffee shop across the street and our friend who has the ice treat store, like we all need. We can't. I mean, there's no way we can do this on our own. And it's not even like any any of us can sell our businesses right now uh, to, you know, it's just not. So where does that leave everybody in this like really bad, hard limbo? I, so yeah, yeah you, we you, have to believe that we will. I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed.
I'm Catherine Lee, co-owner of Lever 2. And I'm her husband, uh, Francis Cradle Cretarola, co-owner of Lever 2. We met in graduate school in Washington, D.C. in 1991, 1990. But yeah, we, so that's where we met, but we were just really good friends. We were both getting MFAs in creative writing. Very lucrative degree. I just want to yeah, put po- that out Yeah, poetry there. wasn't the growth industry I thought it might be. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and then we moved to Philadelphia in 96. And the restaurant didn't, that was, it, it was really kind of like an accident. There were so many like accidents, serendipitous kind of accidents along the way. The two of them got married in 1997, and pretty soon after that, they took a trip together to Italy. Francis was dying to go to Italy. His grandfather was from the Abruzzi region, and he'd lived in Francis's house with them when Fran was growing up. And so I'd heard all these stories, but I'd never been. And so I added on to our itinerary just a trip to the, the, the town of Teramo, which is in Abruzzo. It's the capital of the province he was from. And we drove in, and that was pretty much everything. You're driving through Rome, and as you as you're driving eastward towards towards the Adriatic, the land rises suddenly. It becomes very rugged. There are the, the amazing mountains. When we were there, everything was snow covered. There are these little villages that are like perched improbably along ridges and and in deep woods. You can see them from the bus because we took the bus, and that was we. We went to uh, Stazione Termini and said we wanted to go to Teramo, and I was told, nobody goes to Teramo. You don't want to go to Teramo. Well, first they... You want to go to Torino. I'm like, I don't want to go to Well, Torino. first they, <laughs> they, they looked at us like we had two poor heads and, and said, you want to go where? Getting there and, and just, it was, the, it was the culture, and then suddenly everything made sense. Everybody was like my grandfather. This, this incredibly kind, open, generous, but also there, there was this sort of mien that suggested a kind of sadness that, you know, that life had been hard. Abruzzo is sort of awe-inspiring, but it's not romantic, you know. I mean, these people live hard lives. And so I was like, okay, well, that's what I'm doing. You don't mind if I quit my job. <laughs> Francis was working in publishing at the time, Kathy was working at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And Fran wanted to quit his job to go learn Italian in Italy to get closer to his grandfather's roots in a tiny village even most Italians had never heard of. And she said, yeah, no problem. I expected a yes from her because her patience is, is amazing. And my dad, who had been a blue-collar guy and worked three jobs at once for most of the time I was growing up, said, how many lives do you expect to have? And that was sort of like the blank check. Okay, I got it. I'm, you know, and I, I did this, and I repeat, I repeated the process, going and learning, and eventually it was just one-on-one classes, four hours a day. So I did not go with him. I was still working. I still had a nine-to-five with, you know, all the benefits, which was a great thing, at the uh, art museum. So she made all um, this possible. Yeah. I mean. So so no, I didn't go with him, and that was that was fine. This, this is how long ago it was. Every day I would find a phone booth, Telecom Italia, and call her. Collect. 
remember yeah. collect calls and, everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then ask her to put the Jack Russells on the phone. I don't know why. It was very. I needed to talk to them too. <laughs> Say hi to the <laughs> I said to her, you know, do you want to really like test my dad's like how many lives do you expect to have? Why don't you quit your job? We'll rent the house. It's Abruzzo even now is inexpensive enough that the rental we have on our on our row home in, in Philly could pay for our lifestyle in Abruzzo. So the idea was to research, because we both have our MFAs in writing, like, why don't we write a book? Let's write a travel book. You know, we'll make it like where there's useful information, but we'll write about our experiences. And that didn't happen, but this happened. There's some detours, and <laughs> this happened later. This happened, yeah, this happened after multiple trips back and forth over the years. So when they finally came back to the United States, back to Philly, they wanted to find a way to make Abruzzi part of their lives. I mean, we, we really loved it. And I had no longer worried about it for, for a long period of time. I worried that, may, is this just me? She's just totally giving herself over to this obscure, you know, bumfuck region in Italy and, you know. No, I was, I was all for it. I was all for it. So we were walking around and we ran into on the other side of Broad in South Philadelphia, and we ran into this this restaurant and We've never seen, never seen, or heard of before. And inside the restaurant was this little guy from Napoli who was doing really authentic Italian food. And as much as I love South Philly, there was great Italian American food here, but there wasn't a lot of Italian. Food. It wasn't, you know, there, there's a difference. I grew up eating Italian American. It's not the same thing. And it was just a tiny property, like a f old row house or corner store. He had like a table in the back of the restaurant, probably about this size or smaller, with just like a box of ice and just like fish, like just sitting on it. And that was like, the, we were like, holy crap. Like, Which like you I've know, if you've been, you, they do. They yeah. do. They're like, this is what we have. This is how yeah. fresh it is. Yeah. Which, you know, and yeah. I, I, I'm like, we're, we're eating here. Yeah. And then they went back again and again. They got to know the owner and his wife. That couple was having a hard time with the place. And they ended up offering Francis and Kathy jobs. And that is how the two of them got their start in the restaurant business. We've never done it. And he didn't care. But after a while, they got an itch to do their own thing. We'll get into that after a quick break. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. Okay. 
Kathy and Francis had fallen in love with each other and then with the Abruzzo region of Italy. They wanted to bring back Abruzzo to Philadelphia. They wanted to open a restaurant that was all their own. I had to lean heavily on my family because, well, your father had passed. I have know, my like family's past. Before. Yeah. Yeah. And so her mother you know, is our only other investor. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I'm sure she thought we were insane, but, you know, just kindly like kept her mouth shut. <laughs> but I'm sure she like lost a lot of sleep over these things as mothers would. It was before prices in South in Philadelphia went insane. And I've got to say that this was before things in Philadelphia started to get stupid expensive. We bought the building. The patio area next to it was a lot. Was it was a just lot. an empty lot. Be yeah. Because so. we wanted to do something that was authentic, that would actually, I mean, there was no point, we thought, in, in we're not restaurant people. Yeah. I mean, we are now. Clearly. But, <laughs> but we were fanatics for Abruzzo. So the point was, we're going to do this, and we know it, and we can inhabit, we can be in here. And even if we're learning on the fly, because we had no real restaurant experience, had never worked in one growing up, you know, I'd done warehouse work and other stuff and things like that, and Kathy had worked in publishing. Nine to five. Yeah. yeah. Never restaurant work, and I never would have ever in a million years thought we'd be, be doing this. But as long as we were doing Abruzzo, which I felt we knew inside and out, we could feel comfortable and, and make it feel like home. And if we can make ourselves feel at home, then people coming in will make, it'll seem like we know what we're doing, right? And, you know, that's debatable, but so that's what we, we did. But it, it, there was a snag at the very beginning. The average Stacey chef they'd hired got detained at the airport for visa problems. She wasn't answering her phone, and finally she called and she said, I can't talk, but they're going to send me back because they think that they think that I overstayed my visa here at one point. And I was like, but did you? And she said, I can't talk. They're not, like, they're not, they're, I can't explain anything to them. It was awful. They, like, they, like, had to escort her, like, marshals escort. She you was know? a very this woman, proud, this, like, proud yeah, woman. Yeah, this, like, 40-year-old, like, Italian woman. And escort her back, put her on a plane, and send her right back. And it was, like, yeah, so that was a huge setback because we... We were like, we don't know who else. I mean, again, like, I guess any other, like, rational person would thought, well, well, we, we better get another chef. We better just improvise here. Let's, but no, we, like, we, like, hung on to the idea because we were just like, it's got to be her. Like, we don't know anyone else who can well, do what it, she does. It, it, so. was, it was also the idea that, that it was unjust, you know, yeah. that, you know, she, this is her dream, too, and. So we had a 16-month fight with Homeland Security. She eventually made it here and helped them launch the restaurant with this delicious Italian cuisine like no one in the neighborhood had really seen before. Truffle, white and black truffle, porcini mushrooms, all those sort of things that you would associate with central Italian cuisine, plus the, the, the best saffron that's grown anywhere in Italy. Then Things from the South, hot pepper, the tomato-rich recipes, mozzarella, scamorza, all that sort of stuff. It's all sort of combining there. So you have, uh, I think, kind of a bridge between Central and Southern Italy right in this place. So it's a really sort of sweet spot, you know, for cuisine that's cucina povera, so the cuisine of the poor. You can really put an amazing spread out of, of, of things. But there's absolutely no pretense there. 
So it's a rustic cuisine. And so the idea is you present it without flourish and without fanfare, and but with attention to quality. And then that becomes important about how the place, the vibe of the place. So we've always wanted people to feel comfortable in their own skin, to be able to let their hair down, be themselves, laugh, maybe, maybe get a little loud, whatever. We do insist that people treat the people who work for us with respect because they're professionals and they're doing. And so we, in our own way, engendered a kind of vibe where people are respectful to us too. It's, it, it feels, because we have so many repeat customers and so many people have been coming here for, for a decade, it feels like you're having a family kind of thing. And, I can walk over to the table and make a joke that would be familiar anywhere else. And Kathy can do likewise. And Kathy's getting kissed on, not anymore. No, not, no. not now, but <laughs> no hugs. You know, and no. Kathy is beloved by all these people. And I, I, yeah, I think that's, that was part of the, that whole spirit of conviviality that this might be a place where community can be kind of generated or encouraged. You can come here and maybe decompress like, you're not going to have to perform for us. Come here, be yourself. No, Kathy's but our servers are yeah, really just yeah. really. On, on top of, they're, they're very, yeah. they're very good. Really, that's, so. they're amazing pros. And they worked at other places, and at one point, you know, really, we survived because of their patience, because they, they were with us through this learning curve as we learned how to be owners. Yeah, so yeah, so these things are very important to us. I mean, it's almost like we give that a lot of lip service, but it's almost like secondary to what, like, you know, it sounds like it might be secondary to the food, but you know, that's definitely not the case. I it's think people come here for the food. I think people also come here, the people who come here a lot and come every week, some of them are coming for, for other things too. In terms of the division of labor, Kathy is the people person in the couple. Do you notice this the first time you meet them? Fran does a way better behind the scenes. Kathy is much more adult, much more self-contained, much more able to not fly off the handle when, when, when life takes a, a crazy turn. And I'm my dad's son. I will explode in the moment and then it's over. And she's gotten used to that. And it's not something I'm proud of. This has put that to the test. And frankly, not just this last year, but the past several years, I'm no longer able to summon the, <laughs> the explosive, I'm just, you know, what else? She yeah. listens too, because I have a tendency to want to run through everything I'm thinking to make sure that I'm not a jerk. <laughs> and I need the validation that she, she provides, you know, and I, I, I can't imagine how onerous that can be at certain times, but, but she's, she's amazing at it. And so I'm able to get things off my chest or at least vent them or vet, vet them, actually. You know, Both. would I be a complete asshole if I, if I wrote this? <laughs> you know, no, maybe. <laughs> Not a complete ass. Yeah, yeah, it's a little. <laughs> yeah, she has grading scales of, of what kind a of an asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's not that difficult. I mean, we made a deal early on since 
he's not so much of a people person in the broad sense <laughs> that I I would do evenings and that's fine because you know that's not a heavy lift for me so and then yeah. Francis does a lot of the marketing he does a lot of the brainstorming if you will about you know, pre-pandemic, obviously, events and, and fundraisers and things like that. We've done a lot more charity work in the last couple of years. I did, though, initially spend a lot of time here at night, and then I was asked to leave. You were politely asked <laughs> to maybe... I think a guy having... Your yeah, having a guy who's, <laughs> who's, whose moods have their own weather systems, more, more that I would read incredible disappointment in, into every face. A lot of what I do is also interaction with the chef to make sure that the chef understands the culture and where the food is coming from and make sure that we stay on point, that we don't lose our focus. Because Italy's a big place and chefs have, you've got to let people express themselves, right? So you can't just tie them to some rigorous traditional recipes. They're expressing art. This restaurant is about the culture we, we celebrate. So that is my job. The pandemic isn't the first economic crisis that Fran and Kathy have endured together. They opened Lever 2 right before the economy collapsed in 2008. So we were just on fumes for the next couple of years, just barely making it every week, barely making it every week. So there was no momentum and we cut our own health care. Oh yeah, because we for for the it, for, so for yeah. the for the managers and people who are getting their health care, they maintain their health care. We cut our own health care. And then because I think it, like comedy timing is important, I had a recurrence of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Francis had first had Hodgkin's lymphoma during his trip to Italy to learn Italian. He recovered before they opened the restaurant, but this meant that it was a pre-existing condition for him when it came back. And in 2008, a pre-existing condition was a very dangerous thing to have. So the ACA was going to be a thing, but it had yet to take effect. So I started working as a prep cook, and I was the worst and slowest prep cook on earth, but I was free. <laughs> but I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker, waiting for the, the Obamacare to take effect so I would have the right. So one day I'm, I'm at home showering after work, and I get a call that Craig LeBond for the Inquirer is here. If you live in Philly, you know that Craig LeBon, the longtime restaurant reviewer at the Philly Inquirer, can make or break a restaurant. His reviews come in the form of bells for the Liberty Bell. We love the Liberty Bell here in Philly. One bell is bad, four bells is insanely good and very rare, and three bells is enough to bring in a crowd. So obviously Francis was nervous as hell. So I came down and I sat at the bar and in the next room, he ate and with our new chef, and everything was on the line. Like, do I, I, Obamacare took effect in a couple months after that, but it was sort of, are we going to be even be able to afford whatever the, we got the three bell review we needed, which meant that suddenly we were very busy for a period of time. And suddenly we could afford healthcare. And suddenly I had, I had the right to healthcare. So, we needed a game changer yeah. to sort of get regional attention yeah. to get enough people to, to, mm -hmm. to, to come to all. East Pashyunk, which is now a, a restaurant corridor when we opened, uh, there was uh, Lynn of Paradiso and, and some of the older venerable places, but for like a lot of people who consider themselves foodies, it wasn't, you know, so we opened to the sound of one hand clapping and, and you know, we needed 
a reason for people to vector down here, and you know, and it, gradually that happened. But I just don't. I'm thankful for the for the good review. I have all respect in the world for Craig LeBon, but I don't think that that should be his responsibility to determine whether somebody gets health care or not. I find that kind of absurd. After the good review, Laver 2 became a staple on East Pashyunk. And since then, East Pashyunk has become sort of a foodie paradise. The two of them were doing really well. They didn't become millionaires or anything, but the restaurant was usually full and they were able to pay their staff well. Their staff also felt like a real family to them. You notice this the second you go into their restaurant. And most of their staff had been with them since they opened. And then came the pandemic. And happening right now, all restaurants and bars in Philadelphia are being ordered to shut down. City leaders say the move isn't an attempt to combat the spread of the coronavirus. Eyewitness News reporter Matt Petrillo. We'll be right back. Hey guys, Joe here. This episode of Committed is brought to you by my brand new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book. In terms of how the restaurant industry works, the ebbs and flows of cash over the course of a year, pandemic shutdowns couldn't have come at a worse time. In a business where, you know, margins are, are always thin, and the fact that this started, you know, our, we were ordered to shut down, justifiably so, in March, which is the slowest part of the year. There's nothing in the coffers. Like, we're, we're, that's the period of the year where a lot of restaurateurs will tell you, you're skint. There's no money left over. It's a little frightening when you when there's no money in the till or, or, or you know in a normal time there's not as much money as you'd like there to be to make some sort of major change that might you know wipe out everything you have. As the city began ordering businesses to shut down, Francis and Kathy started having hard conversations about what would happen to Labor Two. Their shared goal was always to take care of their staff because they worried that no one else would. We've had at this restaurant the same staff. 80% of the staff has been with us the better part of a decade. And one person has been with us all 13 years. Uh, a couple other people, 11, 12 years. We made a decision, Kathy and I talked about this, that if we were ever in the situation where we were going to have to let people go and not be able to say for sure, or that, you know, there was no hope coming. We're just stopping it. We're ending it. We're not going to reboot this with new people. It just wouldn't be the same. I mean, it, it really feels like a family in here and comfortable. It feels, feels like coming home for us. And I, I don't ever want to lose that. So do we pay them and then 
figure out how we're going to pay the the house mortgage, the the loan for this, the electric, you know, whatever we owe our purveyors through the through the yeah. everything, you know, the fixed costs, and we don't have an answer. We've lost about 70% of our business in the previous week. So we're facing payroll. We've got to pay our payroll. We've got, you know, the regular monthly bills coming due. And there's no business coming forward. Not only that, the city passed a law, which we, we generally endorse, which is people who are let go get two weeks of paid sick leave. Well, I don't know if they anticipated that you'd have to lay off your staff completely in one moment. And our idea, which we stuck to, was that nobody's, we're not giving up on anybody, we're going to keep everyone here, but we knew we'd have to start applying for whatever aid. And, and by the way, at that point, we didn't know, there was, you know, we didn't know that there'd be PPP, we didn't know what kind of aid there'd be, we just assumed that there'd be some sort of relief package. So we, we launched a GoFundMe, we got a hard loan, 17% loan which would double to uh, 34% if we didn't pay it off in three months, just to bridge that so we could make sure that our people were whole. And then we started to reach out to all our purveyors and our, our bank and try to ask for forbearance, you know, some time. And for the most part, the exception of things like healthcare, people were accommodating, but it's the United States, so healthcare, you know. And so we, more or less looking at this loan that was going to come due in three months if we didn't find a way to, to pay that off. PPP came through. We got everybody covered. So everybody, the people who served were being paid their tip wages. They had had an awful time trying to get on unemployment. A lot of people who applied for unemployment still haven't heard back from the state. I mean, we're talking about March, right? And they went, we put them back on, on uh, salary, I think as early as April, might have been the end of April. So everybody's taken care of, everybody's still with us as we come through and then they, they, they go to the, what is this, the yellow phase? The yellow phase. In Philadelphia, that meant that restaurants were allowed to start serving people outside. That was a big deal. We have an, you know, an ample space that we can responsibly social distance and still have a relatively hail business. So that's more or less that that tells you where, what that was like. And uh, just in the nick of time, we got another small loan from uh, the SBA, which allowed us to pay off the hard loan before it jumped up to the uh, 34%. So we, you know, we, we trust to Providence, you know, <laughs> as a, as a, an agnostic, I'm not used to doing that. And, <laughs> but the, you know, we really, there's no, you've just got to be optimistic, take things one day at a time because there's no planning for this. I think people just assume that there's money laying around and here we are suddenly making decisions that, that are life and death. Yeah. Absolutely. Literally. Yes. <laughs> Those decisions have continued all summer long, as Francis and Kathy have tried to balance what's healthy for their staff, their customers, and themselves. They don't have much time left for outdoor dining. It's starting to get pretty cold in Philly. There's no way that we were prepared, and I'm prepared moving forward as we face down fall and the winter, to say that I'm willing to risk the, the lives of, my, of the people who work for us Kathy works here more during the evening than I am, so she's interacting with people. I don't want her to get sick, and I don't want anybody who comes here to get sick. 
No, yeah. absolutely not. Our staff or our guests. And yeah, so these are a lot of like moral quandaries to be put on the shoulders of small business, period, small business in general. I mean, I don't want this to sort of be like, oh, you know, restaurants need help. I think all small, all small, small business USA needs needs help. So we're in this situation where we're making these decisions. It's not in our in our bailiwick. We have no right to make these decisions, I don't think. This is way above our pay grade to be in charge of making these decisions. But nobody else seems to want to make them. Small I mean, it, it's, it's going to be a massacre if they don't get their acts together soon. And at least, you know, they can put us back in something similar to the situation we were in before the pandemic, which was this week to week. You know, for, for many people in this industry, it is week to week. It's month to month. You don't know. But, you know, and people are amazingly upbeat and, and they have to be because it's hospitality. If they don't at least do that, then you're going to be looking at an attrition rate that's like World War One in the trenches. It's just going to be awful. Every day is like, yeah, one foot in front of the other. That's kind of where our headspace is. So, yeah. So I would say, yes, we, we have to believe that we're going to at least get through this phase. <laughs>
This is honestly the best book that I've ever written. I love it so much. The Sicilian Inheritance is a twisty, turny family murder mystery set on the beautiful and sometimes dangerous island of Sicily. And it's incredibly personal. It's loosely based on the real-life murder of my great-great-grandmother, Lorenza Marsala. The Sicilian Inheritance comes out on April 2nd, but it is available for pre-order right now wherever you get your books. And if you pre-order and email me your receipt to joe.piazza at gmail.com or DM me at Instagram, I will give you a free lifetime subscription to our newsletter Over the Influence. We'll be posting exclusive pictures, videos, and show transcripts for the very new season of Committed coming out in February. So pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. I promise you it's going to be your new favorite book.